uh, friends for quite some time now. Um, I, or at least I should say, I, I've been your friend. I don't know if you necessarily wanted to be my friend. Yes, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to be your friend. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say, um, uh, for those of you, you know, who obviously don't know Jake, Jake, he's uh, a, an amazing man. He, uh, a successful, um, very successful businessman and also very knowledgeable about American history and one of my favorite American patriots. And what I mean by that is Jake, he, uh, he really understands um, not just American history, but also I would say I, I really feel like Jake, you really understand the spirit of America in, in many ways, and and I've always looked up to you for that because it's really hard to to talk to people and and, and to actually have a in depth conversation about uh, much anything when it comes to America, uh, even America's America's current problems and. Also, though, the, the things that we've steered away from, right? Like, I feel like a lot of times it can be kind of shallow when I talk to other people, but with you, I always felt like it's really deep. So um, that's that's really, that's really a big reason why I wanted to bring you on here uh, today. And also because one day you'll be future president of the United States, and I figured I might as well get you on my podcast now before I lose that opportunity. Um, no, I'm not going to be, uh, I, I'm not going to be president. I can, uh, uh, I can tell you that. I have... I do have political aspirations, but that is one office that I have zero interest in uh, going for because um, that office takes a very special type of person, and I don't believe I am that type of person. So you either have to be a uh, a complete narcissist or you have to be an actual really good person So, uh, in order to be the president, unfortunately. <laughs> I feel like it's been a while since we've had a um, a really good person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like nowadays the only people running are those who have uh, extremely big egos. And um, yeah, it's, I feel like given that that's kind of uh, what's happening lately, uh, you know, that a lot of people who run for office are people who are very self-interested rather than interested in... In first of all, following the the boundaries uh, uh, set forth by the Constitution, but also furthering the American cause, right? Like uh, this this cause of of greater prosperity and liberty. Uh, I feel like that's that is not what interests people anymore. It's all about you know whatever they can have for themselves, you know. Well, and I don't even think it's whatever they can have for themselves. It's whatever mark they can leave on the country, right? I mean, you go there. There's a few presidents that I can think of that are legit good presidents. You have obviously George Washington, which is the the perfect example of what the president of the United States should be. A guy who did the job because he was the only one who could do it. He didn't do it because he wanted to. As a matter of fact, he tried not to. But the people basically said, sorry, George, you're the president, so suck it up. Um and then you've got a couple of others kind of scattered throughout U.S. history. Uh, I can think like Abraham Lincoln is another great example where he did things not because he wanted to leave a mark on his own personal glory, but he did things because it was the right thing to do, right? That That's why he did – the choices that he made had nothing to do with that. I want to have the Abraham Lincoln Memorial, right? It was, <laughs> I'm doing this because there's wrongs that need to be righted and I, I'm the guy to do it. Um, but unfortunately there's not too many presidents that fall in that category. When we look at, you know, 
uh, our 40 plus presidents that we've had, um, you know, I mean, Donald Trump is a great example of he just wants to do stuff to say that, hey, I did this as president, right? Barack Obama, I did this as president, right? All of their choices have nothing to do with furthering the cause of America and everything to deal with, you know, what's going to be my legacy, what is going to be inside my presidential library and in the memoir book that I'm going to write and, you know, how many highways are going to be named after me and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what they care about. They don't care about the furthering of the American experiment. They just care about making their own glory as big as possible. And also, I guess what you said really, though, brought two thoughts to mind. One is you had mentioned, you know, Abraham Lincoln did what he did because it was right. But I would say uh, George Washington did too, right? Because yeah. they went to him. They said, you're the only man who can do it. But the reason why he was the only man who who could do it was because he was the only man with, with the right character who was so infallible. Right, he he really had uh, such a such a strong moral character. They knew that he could not be corrupted. I mean, he he proved it time and time again in the American Revolution when he could have been like, you know, like I have the full power of the uh, American military, which you guys put my hands, suckers. Now I'm gonna take over. Like he he always gave back, gave the power mm-hmm. back, and showed no desire, no corruptibility. That's the best way to put it. He showed no corruptibility. And um, Abraham Lincoln, you know, very similar of that character. But the other the other thought I had. Um, from what you had said is, you know, not, they're not very interested. People nowadays are not very interested in furthering, furthering the American cause. Now, uh, I find it really interesting because when I think about the American cause, I feel like the American cause is not just America centric. It is, it, it, it takes into account the impact, uh, that it has upon the world. And, and now there's different ways of viewing that and there are some more modern takes upon that uh, for example like in the american found american founders they believe that you know we really should not be um in bed with anyone overseas we should not we should be very very independent from them uh and try not to get involved in foreign wars uh and nowadays that's kind of what we do all the time yeah, but, well, and, but truthfully and that's um, honestly to, to just to jump on that right from the get-go that's honestly one of the the big problems, you know, when we look at um, the American experiment, the American cause, America is supposed to be, you know, not I'm not using this phrase because I endorse Donald Trump's use of it, but America is supposed to be America first. You know, when we go all the way back in our history, the reason why this country was founded in the first place was because the British didn't listen to the American people. They wanted to do things a certain way, and the British government said, no, you're going to do it our way, and, and twisted the, the arm behind their back to try and force them to do it. Uh, and the American way is, no, we're going to rule ourselves, and we're going to be the example for others. And you know, it, the, the concept of America first in the sense that the way Donald Trump has it, which is you know, only our manufacturing and you know, this, that, and the other, the America first concept is... Really, when we go back to the nation's founding and when we start looking at what the true American experiment is, America first is first and foremost making sure that our needs are met so we can be an example to other nations. Um, you, you know, when we look at the the, the starting of the nation uh, with George Washington is a great example 
we had the opportunity and we were asked by the French to join in the French Revolution, right? We had basically said, look, we are, we're willing to, to be revolutionaries, right? That's kind of how the world pictured the American colonies at that point. We're a bunch of just rebels, right? So that's why when the French started their French Revolution, they said, sweet, let's go to the Americans and let's get them to join join our cause. And they'll totally join it because they like to be rebels. And they missed the point that we don't like to be rebels. We like to be independent. And we like to show the example. That's why what we did as a country, instead of sending troops, we sent the people who helped write our constitution and said, here's what we did. Let's help, or not constitution, excuse me, declaration of independence. Here's what we did. Let's help you write your own declaration of independence to use for your people. And then your people can actually do the revolution that needs to be done. Right. That's that's what the true America first attitude is or should be is let's be an example first. And you could see it all through history, all the way up until basically the Cold War. We were the example with a couple of exceptions with our dealings with South America. We decided we're not going to be going into other people's countries. We're going to show other countries how to be independent themselves. Uh, And unfortunately, we have, especially since the Cold War, went from becoming an independent country to a global country where we want to be yeah. really we want to empire build you know we're just not doing it with necessarily with the the same way that uh, Britain did when they were empire building we're just doing it through economic means and then when those don't work we send troops in so anyways continue on with your your point sorry i just wanted to, no, to jump no, in you're on right. that well, I was going to say, uh, the point where I was going with it is, it actually touches a little bit on what you were saying. Is So the, the idea that, you know, uh, America, you know, being some sort of example to the world, uh, how that got twisted by Teddy Roosevelt and then several times past him because he, he, he was only partially successful in that, in saying that basically we need to be the caretakers of the world, that we have to be uh, the the bigger the kid, the bigger kid with a bigger club on the school ground who's willing to whack anyone who's going to start a fight. And that's not, I mean, that's totally against what the founders wanted. But, but there has always been from the beginning this idea that America was supposed to have an influence upon the world and a very good influence. And and what I mean by that is the founding fathers, they they really had a I would say a, a um a spiritually a heaven sent or heaven induced vision of what America was gonna be. For some reason, I mean if very few people uh aspire to create a, a nation and so accurately and humbly say that it's gonna it's going to really be looked upon the world as something great that uh, people will remember this day, and it will have you know such a such an impact upon uh, the the peoples of of every nation. I mean, to me, I'm like, okay, obviously they were very clear that what they were doing here was was exceptional, it, it, and also that if they pulled it off correctly, it would have major consequences, very major positive consequences. But that's the trick, though. They had to make sure they did it correctly (laughs) and uh, so just kind of to draw a comparison here when I think about the founding fathers and then also us today and even just not even the founding fathers just like the people in general let's say the founding fathers and all the American colonists and then us today there's a huge difference like if we were trying to uh if we if you were to transplant us back in their day instead of having them we would totally screw it all up right if Uh, we're like yeah we we need to be free and independent if we were to transplant us (laughs) 
back into the Founding Fathers' Day, we wouldn't have seceded from Britain, honestly. That's true. <laughs> like the, the, That's true. The revolution would have been, would never have gotten off the ground if you were to transplant the the American people today and transplant them back then. It, it very likely it would not have even gotten off the ground. I mean, you would have people who would be fighting for it and, and maybe it would have gotten off the ground, but most people would be saying, let's try to find a way to work with Britain instead of let's start our own country. Well, and it's not even, I, I wouldn't even say that they would stick to that mantra. What can we do to stick with Britain? Because that is something that had been tried and, and that the, uh, Many, many uh, people who were even founding fathers were originally for like, hey, like we shouldn't separate. We haven't tried enough. Um, I feel like if we got transplanted then, it, their their concern would be like, hey, I'm comfortable like this, right? I don't care that I have given up liberty and my and I don't really have equal rights. They they make my life cush, right? Like you would draw upon sentiments such as. Oh yeah, like they they protect us. They have their armies. They keep us safe. You know they uh yeah they tax us out the wazoo and we have no voice in the government. But hey, like we get to be British subjects. How what awesome privilege that is and and how cush can, you know could that be? Rather than realizing that through the strife, um that that they could go through and also through the strife of continuation upon winning the American Revolution you could have something so much greater. But people aren't really interested in that nowadays, right? Nope. They're, they're not really interested in the strife for freedom, for, for true prosperity and, and, and joy and individual freedom. Because we, are all in, we all have our vices and we, and we create um, chains upon ourselves in one way or another. And right now it, it looks like so much more people are interested in their chains rather than their opportunities for for growth, for, for something so much better. Well, and it's, um, trying to actually, uh, figure out a good way to say this here. Um, you know, the, uh, there's a, there, there's a phrase that has, uh, always stuck with me since the two of us got to know each other. Um, and it's the chains of death and yeah, the chains of death that are being referred to in this uh, this quote, um, because what it uh, um, uh, what it's referring to is basically the ability for individuals to rise up and to, to take ownership of themselves, and it ends with a warning, basically saying to beware of the chains of death. And the chains of death that it's referring to is dependency, and that's unfortunately what the majority of at least what I can tell um, granted I'm in, I'm in California. So my, my viewpoint's a little bit different because of that. But from <laughs> what I can tell dependency is the name of the game for, for most people nowadays, right? When we look at our lifestyles, uh, what has been very successfully done is we've, been taught to be dependent on something most of it is you know going to be government but when you also look at the rest of the choices that most americans make look at credit card debt and just debt in general right you're becoming dependent upon banks to make you happy at that point which we all know how well that works out for you in the end um and yeah. then 
you have where people, <laughs> their solution to every problem becomes more and more, I'm going to talk to the government about fixing the problem instead of talking to my neighbors or talking to my friends and finding community solutions. It's, I don't like this. I'm going to see if the government can twist somebody's arm. And so we've become dependent upon all of these outside influences instead of what the true American you know, experiment is all about, which is independence. Um, you know, we, they write with the, the founders recognized from the beginning, there's always going to be need for a government to protect people from outside influences as well as internal influences and the internal influences that they were worried about was not differing opinions, but influences that would prevent differing opinions. That's what they were worried about. So they wanted to make sure that there was protections in place so that the citizens from outside influences would have physical protection, right? The, they would have the army and the Navy and all that kind of stuff. But then they also wanted to make sure that there was internal protections to make sure that everyone worked on the same level playing field. And unfortunately, as time's gone along, that playing field has been eroded to the point where we now want to use those internal protections to attack one another instead of to make sure that the playing field is fair. You're absolutely right. Actually, it might have been during Obama's presidency. Um, I believe it actually was. I remember there were these ads that came out that uh, what it would say is it would say, ask not what your country can do for you. And then it had an X through it and said, actually, go ahead and ask. And I was I was deeply troubled by seeing that because to other, to some people they thought, oh, that's a really cool like marketing point. Like, yeah, that's really, really neat way to think about it. But I knew what that actually signified. It signified us becoming dependent upon the government. And, and like you were saying, when you go that route, you just have to twist other people's arms. Ultimately, and here's a, here's a big problem I have with uh, the, the growth of government, is that it becomes, it becomes a, uh, a system of theft. Right, a big reason why I dislike uh, um, uh, certain states, in particular California, <laughs> is because I feel like uh, there's too much government involvement, and the only way when you ha- when you are twisting other people's arms uh, in different ways. Now, it, this may be different than the way you were mentioning, because you're you're thinking of like, well, we're going to twist someone's arm into capitulating to this way of thinking, but there's other ways of twisting arms, and it's more like twisting pockets, right? We 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 loose them of a change, and so when you get government to be involved so heavily like that, and and now it's involved uh, for controlling or um, influencing or or taking care of all these different aspects that it was never meant to. It has to have money to run in that way. It has to have the resources to do so. And so ultimately is you create this giant realm of collusion where we are all colluding to a theft because we're like, well, it's okay. Like, I don't have to pay for that. We're all going to pay for it. Or I don't pay for it because someone else is paying for it. But ultimately, you're, you're robbing from each other, right? And you're robbing from yourself. You're, and and in the end, the greatest robbery that takes place or, or burglary is that you you all are now bereft, uh, uh, or sorry, you you are, you are left without your your liberty, right? That's the great theft that happens in the end. It doesn't. You can lose all your money, great, but in the end, what you actually gave up was your freedom, and when that's gone, th- then it's game over. And that's that's a really big concern the American um, founding fathers had. In fact, it's because of that those sort of sentiments that we've been discussing that the founding fathers almost didn't do the American Revolution. 
They almost couldn't do it because they thought to themselves that the people were, they had, that their manners were too corrupt and too much like the British in the sense that they they were not willing to be independent, right? They they were too willing to just go along with, with the tyranny that happened because it was cushional or it was cushioned for them. But certain changes, and I believe that they, you know, it, these are great blessings, certain changes came in. Uh, different things happen to allow them to start showing this spirit of independence and, and the show that they had the manners and this sense of true uh, moral reasoning and, and moral character to where the founding fathers felt like, okay, if we go for it now, we'll probably, we'll probably be okay, but we still need God's help. Yes. Yeah. You know, and um, to kind of, to, to jump on something that you had mentioned a little bit earlier, um, and I think, and I, I just kind of want to touch on it real quick. It's a very common and unfortunate thing that people on the right use as their worrying point, worrying point, and that's money. What most people don't understand when, especially when it comes to government finance, it is very different than your finances right government it, it it would be like saying to a business that is produced let's say you've got a factory producing you know toilet paper we'll just use that since that's you know what everyone likes to talk about you've got a factory producing toilet <laughs> paper and you've got all these people that want to buy the toilet paper and want to use the toilet paper and they're producing more and more and more and more toilet paper and then somebody comes in and says, wow, you're you're making a lot of toilet paper. You should probably slow down. And they look at you like um, there's demand for it. So we're going to continue to produce toilet paper. Um, you know that when we kind of talk about finances on the right and on the Republican side and conservative side, we totally miss what the real problem is, because the real problem is not at all. um the fact that the government spends money. The real problem is the fundamental reason behind the money spending. The reason why the government spends as much money as it does is to control thought and is to influence decision-making. That's why they're spending the money. The, to, to continue to say we need to cut spending it's totally missing the point of what the spending is actually doing. Because let's say they did decide, okay, we're going to cut spending, you know, air quotes here. They're cutting spending. They're just going to use the same concept, though, in another way to continue to get you to think and to do things a certain way. What the real conversation needs to be about, especially on the conservative side, is to make sure that there's true independence. And we will always lose the argument when we go money because, one, the government's never going to stop spending because that's how they stay in power. I mean, you you look at on both sides of the aisle, all they do is they promise their voters things. They don't promise them like what the founders did, you know, concepts. They promise them things, right? How you get reelected, you know, we, you read these books um, on becoming a politician and you know addressing concerns and whatnot, one of the first chapters that you t that that they always talk about is finding the physical things that you can promise 
that you can actually deliver to your constituents within your first term to prove that you're actually good at your job. So then you can kind of cakewalk from that point forward. And it's always something like a bridge or, you know, you're doing some sort of <laughs> right. like road project or some building or some library or something like that. Right. The, the government wants to spend money to control your thoughts and your actions. And what true Americans, whether you're on the left or on the right, need to do is we need to stop talking about, oh, the government's spending so much and start talking about the government's controlling us and not in the way well, that we see right now with coronavirus right because one of the again the right is horrible at messaging absolutely horrible at messaging a great example of this is the masks yes masks you might believe masks are a bad idea you might believe that we don't want to xyz with masks but the problem is is the view that you're creating is my my freedom quote unquote freedom is more important than me wearing a mask and that's where we lose the argument instead of actually focusing on what the real problem is with masks, which is the government thinks I'm too stupid to be independent. So they're forcing me to wear a mask. And that should be what the conversation is, is that the government thinks you're too stupid. Instead, what we do is we say, well, I want my freedom, so I'm not wearing a mask. And that's where we, we have a serious messaging problem because we're not really talking about what the real root of the problem is. So anyways, I just wanted to kind of kind of dovetail into just a little thing that you had said with the, the finances. because I think it's really important from the. Well, you're you're right. Well, actually, let me just challenge you there, because, Jake, you, you sound like a total uh, conspiracy theorist saying that uh, the, that the government, all they really want is to be able to control your thought, to be able to control you. Uh, isn't that conspiracy theory? I, I'm just throwing that out there because I have, I have plenty of answers I can give to that, but yeah. I want to hear from you. Like, how is how is that how is that the truth, right? Because look at the good that the government's doing. I mean, my gosh, if you, uh, if you need welfare, it can give you welfare. If you, uh, if you uh, are worried about um, discrimination, it'll um, pass all these uh, different legislation um, to to ensure that you aren't discriminated against. Also, has these great agencies to ensure that we're protecting our environment. Like, what what on earth are you saying? Well, let's just use welfare because it's the easiest one. It's the one that most people can can physically see here. And there's two actually that are really great examples: welfare, and a and basically a form of welfare called social security. What are two ways to get massive voter turnout? Tell somebody that your welfare is being taken away. Tell somebody that your social security is being taken away. If you're on the left and you are in a tough election, all you have to do is say your opponent wants to take away welfare. And you will get tons of people showing up to vote for you because you're going to be the one protecting welfare. If you're on the right and you want a bunch of people to vote for you, you tell people that this person's going to take away your social security checks, or social security is not going to is not going to last. So we've got to, you know, we we've got to be able to fund that. I mean, you, you look at Donald Trump; he's multiple times has said, "I will make sure that social security never has a problem," right? Because he knows <laughs> that's a voter block. That is a voter block that is in lock that would be in lockstep with him, as long as he can keep that fear dangling over them that the other side wants to get rid of it. Same thing with the welfare state. That's the controlling thought component. I mean, it's very, very obvious when you actually look at what happens with that. I mean, just look at any election. 
when they start talking about we're going to cut welfare or look at any election. Again, that's another really easy example for people. Why is it whenever we're having a quote-unquote budget problem, which there never is a budget problem, P.S., but let's just say that they're having a quote-unquote budget problem, what's the first thing that they always cut? It's not their stupid programs. It's not the it's not their you know kickbacks that they have for their their donor base. We're going to cut the police. We're going to cut the fire, and we're going to cut the um, the emergency medical response. Why? Because it gets people to move. It gets people to say, "Oh well, we can't we can't lose our teachers. We teachers already don't get paid enough. We need we we have to." Okay, let's let's pass this bond measure to give the teachers more money when only a tiny percentage of that bond is actually going to go towards teachers and the rest of it's going to go towards pet projects and who knows what else. It's all just to get you to move in the direction that they want. It's a game. It's a giant game that they have been. And that's why you look at these politicians. There, there's a reason why you've got 40 plus year you know, politicians in office, in all levels of, of office, whether you're talking your mayor's office all the way up to the to the federal government level, because it's a game that they've played and they know how to play it for a long, long time. And it's all about manipulating people and getting them to, to do things in the way that they want them to do. And they use the social programs, they use money to get people to move. Again, like I had mentioned earlier, one of the big problems that people on the right have is talking about the debt. I don't know if anybody on the right has noticed, but the debt hasn't slowed down with the Republican in control. As a matter of fact, it's speed up, sped up as well. But they will still use the debt as a talking point because, again, they know that we're concerned about that. So that can get us to move. Right. And don't think for a second that the Republicans are sitting there going, well, we actually need to cut back spending. No, they're saying, no, we still need to keep all this spending going because we have a weapon every year called the debt ceiling. Every single, I mean, that's like a politician's dream come true is the yearly debt ceiling raising <laughs> because all it is is a bunch of wheeling and dealing behind the scenes of, okay, I'm going to get this and you're going to get that and this, that, and the other all while the country is quote unquote falling apart because, oh my gosh, no one's able to get paid and they're getting IOUs and blah, blah, blah. Right. And everyone's going crazy when all it is, is that's like Washington DC's like happiest moment because it's when every deal that they couldn't get through the year before they now can say, well, let's just sneak it into the debt ceiling. I mean, that's why they have these omnibus bills when it gets passed. And it's like, Whoa, where did all this crap come from? And it's it's yeah. it's all just a game to control and manipulate people. It's all, and that's why we need to stop playing their game and talking and start talking about the real issues. Right. The, there's there's a reason why the First Amendment is the First Amendment. And that's because that's what allows us to have free thought. And then there's a reason why the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment, because that's the amendment that allows us to protect that free thought. We've gotten into a really bad habit as a country of ignoring the first and the second amendment's actual purposes. Instead, we get hyper-focused on like, for instance, the first amendment with churches, we'll get hyper-focused on protecting churches rights while completely ignoring the ability for people to actually openly speak on all platforms, whether it's the street corner yeah. or Facebook. And then on the second amendment, no, you're right. That's, oh, go ahead. that's been bugging me. Sorry. I just have to say that just bugs the heck out of me um, for 
for quite a while is just the fact that um, for, for a long time now, they have said you can't openly discuss religion in the workplace. It's like, that's a violation mm-hmm. of my of my constitutional right. Like, why the heck not? Like, like why can I not, you know, uh, bring up uh, elements of my own life that matter to me? And now why do I have to then concede to uh, to a, a, a different playing field in which I now have to play by your rules? How about we all talk in the manner and discuss upon the things uh, that come to our minds rather than trying to uh, force ourselves into uh, this, this nice little chamber where... Uh, we now only do what you ask us to because it is no longer acceptable to be free to be ourselves and to uh, live the way we desire in any space. It is now there's now confinements to that, and it, it, it's just so frustrating because it always leads to more control, like you've been saying, right? Like you do that, and then suddenly it gets more and more to where it's not just you can't. It's not that you just can't talk about religion and work anymore. If you come out to be more conservative in your politics. You're gonna lose your job, mm-hmm. or you're gonna you're like people are gonna boycott you and gonna destroy your business, etc., etc. Right? Like you're in a bad spot. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just no, no, no you're totally. Just you're totally <laughs> been good. really bothering me for a long time. No, and that's it's exactly what the game is all about in keeping this power in control. It's it's it, and that's where, like I was saying earlier, the true American experiment in the true american culture is independence and lead by example that's what the true i mean the only time that the military when you look at all the way up until the cold war you look at america's military and you know experiences in general like i said with a couple of exceptions when it comes to like the mexican-american war and a couple of things with uh, Teddy Roosevelt and South America, where he just kind of was like, "Sweet, I can be a you know, I can start empire building." <laughs> For the most part, the American military has only been mobilized for true threats to America, or true threats to the standards that America stands for perfect example being world war one or and world war two that's when we the reason why america got involved in those two wars minus the japan part because we're going to talk you know that we're, we're talking world war two pre-japan when america was sending volunteer yeah. troops over the reason why we were getting involved was because there was evil afoot that we needed to address and what was in, what I love actually, if you look at World War One and in our, in our involvement in World War One, Germany and the Axis powers were deadlocked against Britain and the Allied powers. They were just, I mean, that war wasn't moving anywhere whatsoever. And the reason why America got involved wasn't because, hey, we feel like Britain is better than Germany. It was there's been enough human suffering and this needs to end. And you'll notice as soon as, and this isn't just, you know, me tooting my horn saying America's the greatest military on earth. But once America got involved in world war one, that war ended pretty gosh darn quick thereafter. And it was because our philosophy was we're ending this to end the human suffering going on. You basically have spent the past few years running each other through meat grinders and it needs to stop. And then in World War II, it was you're literally killing people 
and torturing people on both sides, both in Japan and in um, Germany. And it has to stop. Like, that's why we got involved. After that, we decided that, you know what, we're just going to get involved everywhere. And we kind of lost sight of what the, the true American ideal is, which is independence first and then being that example and then being willing to back up that example when necessary. And where the military industrial complex has kind of twisted and been able to get us into all kinds of wars and the State Department has gotten us into all kinds of wars since then is that last piece on standing for our principles. They've just basically said anybody who doesn't stand for our principles, we're going to go after. And they've, they've decided to strong arm a bunch of countries. And then you, you get you know a whole other ball of wax going into that as well. So it, you just got all these people in power that they don't actually believe in the true American ideal anymore. They just believe in power, control, and manipulation. Absolutely. Now let me ask you uh, this question. This is uh, meant to be the greater focus of what we were going to discuss, but really I'm enjoying all, all this. Uh, what has made America great? Oh... You know, there's a lot of things that have made America great. Um, what if you if you were to boil it down to one or one or two yeah. pieces? What what would you say are, are are the two pieces that make us the most great? Make America great. The two pieces that make America great. Oh, that is tough, and and the reason why it's tough is because I don't think America as a whole believes in these two pieces anymore. Honestly. Um, and that's why it's tough to say what I think the two pieces that make America great. And one piece is proudly written on the Statue of Liberty. And I'll be honest, I have no idea if this poem that's on the Statue of Liberty is unique only to our Statue of Liberty or if it's also written on its uh, sister Statues of Liberty as well that are you know, elsewhere. But one of, I think, the defining things is the poem that's written on the statue of liberty and actually i'm going to pull it up because i just want to quote it word for word so give me just a second here absolutely upon the thought while you're pulling that up just you say you, you know you're you're concerned that people don't believe it anymore and that's a major thing here and, and that's why i believe it's important that we give people like for example like in this podcast we give people content they can listen to where they can actually be they can rekindle that flame of understanding that there there is something great about america right it's not all about human flaw and um human suffering or or, or, um and weakness in fact something that i truly believe in is that america has a narrative and the narrative that it has always been and and should always be is the narrative of triumph Mm -hmm. america's main narrative is the triumph of of overcoming evil even when the evil was our own that's that is our narrative to me. But sorry, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead and share uh, that quote. Yes, yeah, so here here it is. So it says, "Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land." And what they're referencing here is, uh, if you remember, one of the seven wonders of the world, right? There was the uh, the Greek port, which the entrance to the port was straddled by a giant Greek god, right? And it was an angry Greek god, just to ba- to show the power of the the city state. And that's what they're referring to is unlike the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, 
Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your stories, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these the homeless tempest toss to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden the golden door. That right there is the number one thing that makes America great. That I think we've lost sight of. the The story that this poem is trying to convey is America, unlike the Greek god that stood there and made people afraid of them. The America is the country that welcomes all who have basically been beaten down. If you've been beaten down in life, if you're where you've come from, you are not free. That's, I love where it says your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, right? That This is who an American is, somebody who they want freedom, and the only place that they can truly get it is here in America. And she stands. I also love how she, how it describes, it says, you know, from her beacon hand glows uh, worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command, meaning she's welcoming everybody to come in, but she's watching those outside. And what's nice is she's not looking at America. She's looking away from America. She's looking at everyone else going, don't mess with me. Everybody in here is protected by me, is protected by freedom. And if you even think about coming in here, you're going to get your butt kicked, right? That's, that's basically what, you know, she, she wants to welcome in all of the people who have been tempest tossed, who have been downtrodden, who have had hardship in life, come to us. We will try to give you the opportunity. I, that's the very last line. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. In other words, I'm giving you opportunity. You could do with what you want with your opportunity. That's, but, well, that's what we give you is opportunity. And I think that's one of the things that makes America great is this is the place where regardless of where you have come from, who you are or what you've done, you can basically start over and have freedom. But, and what has been extremely illuminated in this past few weeks, we don't believe that anymore. We don't believe in give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. We don't believe in welcoming um, all of these people. You know, the, the, the beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. You know, we don't believe that anymore. Instead, we believe in our groups. We have our group think, and we think that anybody who does not think like us needs to be oppressed, needs to be destroyed. We don't think about the yearning to breathe free for anybody, whatever side of the aisle you want. You aren't thinking of the other side yearning to breathe free, uh, yearning to breathe free. You're only thinking about yourself. And that's one of the, the things that I, that's why I say it's hard for me to say what makes America great because 
the two biggest pieces that does make America great, this being the first one, we don't have. And then the second one is the piece right behind it, which is where she says her mild eyes command. In other words, if you mess with this freedom, you're getting your butt kicked. America has turned into a bunch of pansies when it comes to (laughs) the internal stuff. You aren't going to find a military outside that's going to be willing to come into America. And as sure as heck, when an American military comes rolling through another country, they're planning on having the fight of their life at that point. We have no problem with the external, you're going to get your butt kicked. But the internal, we're all a bunch of pansies. Nobody wants to actually stand up and say, that is wrong. And not that their opinion is wrong, right? Because that's one of the beauties of America. That's one of the beauties of the First Amendment. You can have a completely different opinion than I do, and we can sit across the table and discuss it. Where it becomes wrong is when what we're doing to each other is saying, you need to not exist anymore. And nobody stands up to protect that. Nobody stands up and says, wait a second, why are we trying to eliminate things? I don't dis- I don't agree with you, but I sure as heck don't believe we should be eliminating you. But unfortunately in yeah. America, on both sides of the aisle, the conversation isn't how do we protect? Let's just use conservatives as a as a as our example since we're both conservative on our on our thinking. You won't sit down in a conservative conversation and have a, a conservative say, you know, progressives should be allowed to, you know, should be allowed to express their opinions. The progressives should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Most of the time when you sit down with a conservative, their conversation is progressives are evil. They should have no power whatsoever and that they should, you know, be chased out of X, Y, and Z, that they shouldn't have this, that, and the other. And it's all about trying to eliminate them from the conversation, even though we'll say, but we totally want them to, you know, say what they want to say. But only because, and you'll see this all the time, especially at like Fox News, but only because they're going to unmask their true identity. It's like, wait a second. That shouldn't be what we're standing for. What we should be standing for is let them speak and let them be heard without any fear associated with it. And then that flips right back to um, on the conservative side right now we're seeing it plain as day. Um, where conservative voices are literally just being turned off by social media and news organizations and you know openly attacked. And nobody is standing up and saying, that's wrong. We have conservatives that are saying, and, and what I mean by standing up and saying that's wrong, what conservatives do is they whine and they complain. Oh, Facebook's blocking it. Whatever will I do? And then they still get on Facebook. They still post their crap that nobody cares about. <laughs> they still, you know... They don't actually stand up and say no. You know, one of the things that back, you know, this was how many years ago was this when the Tea Party was really popular? You know, the Tea Party had a moment. And they failed epically at it. They mobilized the country. They actually got the country to stand up to the government and say no. And the government actually kind of backed off for a little bit. And they said, okay. We, we kind of ticked people off, 
And the Tea Party put in a bunch of, or the, the Tea Party thought they put in a bunch of people that were on their side. And then they didn't hold any of those people accountable. None of them got held accountable. They were able to become your same old crappy uh, political pundits that they were hating on, you know, the election right before, and they never held them accountable. And so the, the two pieces that make America great are being able to let anybody in and give them that opportunity and then defending their ability to have that opportunity. But we don't do that anymore. I don't think so. I, I, I think as a whole, we believe in defending our think tank. We don't believe in defending our country. And, you know, I think, though, part of that goes back to this um, this situation where we know we don't actually have each other's backs. I think a lot of that, like, like it, it's it's a vicious cycle where you kind of collude, everyone's colluding back in on it, where we, we're not really willing to defend one another because we know in the end we don't actually have each other's backs. That we've yeah. kind of gotten to the point where we are so... Uh, we were so caught up in everything else and also had become so uh, unawares of what was taking place that I feel like things got flipped on their heads so quickly that now we don't talk anymore. Now there's no coming together. That now we're like, oh crap, like legit, we don't have each other's backs. Like there's no longer this, this civil disagreement. It's now violent disagreement. It's now, how can I either like actually violently like be there in person and do that to you or violence through, through the uh, force of government, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like, well, and not even government, the fact that they force you. And it's not even the force of government. It's also the force. uh, I mean, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and That's all that. That's true. Them. Social social media, all those platforms, and even even the which website building company was it again that they are now uh, no longer gonna let uh, their uh, conservative websites be built on their uh, on their platform. Oh, I haven't heard I was that just one. Like, yeah, <laughs> just blown out blown out of the water. I'm like, wow, like there's there's no safety anymore. And you're right, it's not just government. Um, and I feel like when it comes to these sort of situations where we're seeing that it's no longer safe. We don't have each other's backs. And, and especially if you have a conservative point of view, you're kind of on the run that we missed our opportunity a long time ago because the, the progressive and, and more so the communistic um, ideology has been slowly but faster and faster now until it's very full-blown been incorporated into many areas of of american culture and and even our system right like the education system uh like higher education and lower education and also uh the these different um policies that lead to um these situations where the government is in complete control and then also when you are when you have media outlets that are so um so involved in in basically being a, a platform, a, an activist for something that is totally anti-American. Well, now you have all of these different, very powerful tools in your in your toolbox that you can control the culture, uh, and and you can control public opinion. And I believe it was uh, Abraham Lincoln who said that you know he who controls public opinion controls the government, and that's exactly what we see now. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. So I'm, and you know the 
the thing that will make America great again. Like I'm not using his phrases because I think that, you know, I support the guy. I mean, I support our president, but the phrase is true to make America great again. And the thing that Americans need to do is they need to one, stop being a bunch of pansies. <laughs> they need to actually stand up for themselves and for others, including those you don't agree with. When you see somebody that, you know, you used an example uh, earlier about how you aren't allowed to talk about religion in your workplace. Well, what should have happened in real in the America that's great, what would have happened in that that boardroom when the when the upper echelons were making that decision, somebody would have stood up and said, "Sir, that is wrong." Yes, we may have more fights among our employees because they don't like the the religion that this person has and that this that and the other, but it's wrong to silence them. It is wrong to say that they're no longer allowed to talk about that topic because it's sensitive. That's that's what a real the a real great America would have been. Him and a couple of others, or her and a couple of others in that boardroom, would have said no. I don't agree with that person's religious choices, but I sure as heck don't want him to not be able to talk about his religious choices. Right. So it's true. You, you destroy the, this atmosphere of tolerance. Once, once you can now say these are off the table, these are off, like mm-hmm. you cannot bring these topics up. Then, then you no longer like tolerance only exists when you are continually put into a situation where you have to exercise it. Right. Just like any sort of, um, behavior a behavioral trait or, or um uh practice if you do not exercise it you get weak at it and when you when you eliminate people's ability to have to actually be be put in a situation where it's not always comfortable it's not always you know happy you know happy donkey dory well then they have to grow in their characters enough to go you know what i totally don't think that guy is right about religion in the slightest but i like that guy that guy is a good guy, and and I appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Now that's not the case anymore. It's like, wait, you're you're triggering me. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, let me let me ask you this question: What is American except- exceptionalism to you? And is is American exceptionalism something that is real? Yes, it is definitely real, um, and that's because the what I view American exceptionalism as is our willingness to put our neck out to defend others. Um, that's what I truly believe is the American exceptionalism. Um, and it does definitely exist and you can see it over and over and over in our history from the wars that we're willing to fight on behalf of others to things like putting a man on the moon, uh, to, even things like the civil rights movement and you know the, the being able to look internally at our own mistakes and saying that was wrong and we need to correct it right that that's american exceptionalism most other countries in order to pull off many of the things that america has pulled off would have required revolutions we don't need revolutions we we don't need armed conflict internally with civil wars to pull off those types of changes. And that's what's truly uh, what makes America different from all other countries is our ability to address 
the corrections that the course corrections that we need as a country without going to arms against one another. Um, now, does that American exceptionalism exist? It definitely still does today. It just doesn't exist as bright as I wished it did. Yeah. Uh, would you say then, uh, excuse me, um, would you then say that in order for us to understand or, or even recognize our exceptionalism as a nation, we must better understand the the true history of America? No. Then I know that's probably not the answer you want or expecting. But no, I don't think it's to understand the true history of America. I think what will what will reignite American exceptionalism is understanding each other. That's because that's really what American exceptionalism is is understanding one another and and being there for your neighbor. Um that's what will reignite American exceptionalism. Being able to understand our history and and looking back at our history uh, and the things that we did helps people to know the path that we've taken to get to where we are today. But to, to have true American exceptionalism uh, will start in your own home and in your own neighborhood. And it doesn't matter what history has done, and it just matters what you're going to do in your own home and your own neighborhood. I like that. Well, Jacob, I, I really appreciate you, you know, doing doing this a podcast episode with me. I, I love our conversations, and uh, I'd love to get you on here again. Um, if you, I just want to ask you this last question here: If you could leave, you know, one one message for the generation of children, you, you have a child, I have children. Um, if you could leave one message for them, like what would you want them to understand? Let's say they listen to this podcast years from now. What do you hope that they end up coming away with when they are living in America that is even more different and, and very likely in a, in a rougher situation than it is now? What would you like for them to understand about their country? See, that's where what I hope that they understand when they come and listen to this podcast You know, in the future is they understood that their dads and that their country was in a time of turmoil and that we prevailed. That's what I actually hope they come away with with this podcast. Um, I hope that what they're able to see is what we've talked about today was actually put into action and that changes were actually able to be made in whatever small way that they were and that it gives them hope that if they need to continue changes in their their lives with their country, that whatever state it's in at that point, that those changes can be done and that they can make a difference. I love that. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. And thank you for all you listeners out there who are enjoying this. If you liked what you heard, Hit subscribe, follow along, and share this with other people. I always invite every listener to share this podcast, um, this episode even. If it touched uh, touched you in, in the right way, if you learned something or you feel like someone else could really benefit from this, even if they don't have the same political ideology as you, share it with them because, like Jake said, we, we need to be able to come together and we have each other's backs, and I feel like that's one way in which that can be done. So thank you for listening, and live free until next time.